adaptable, right? Maybe we just, maybe we all end up live, having a lifestyle like people in Dubai do, where you spend approximately three minutes outdoors every day, and that's just the that's just the aggregate of the time that it took for me to get to the front door to an Uber. Mm-hmm. And we just all stay inside, mm-hmm. right? In our hermetically sealed bubbles. Mm-hmm. Life can adapt, humans can adapt, but on the whole, we're, we're destroying the planet. Welcome to the Crazy Wisdom Podcast. Uh, today I interviewed the founder and CEO of an interesting company called The Prepared. Uh, his name is John Ramey. And The Prepared teaches people how to get ready for emergencies uh, that are such as car accidents and natural disasters. Uh, they develop guides, online guides. Uh, so John knows a lot about stress and uh, uh, his whole business is wrapped around helping people deal with some of the most stressful situations on the planet. Uh, so I, I, um, this interview was very impactful for me. I learned quite a few things about how I can prepare for, for a future emergency. Uh, hopefully it's helpful for you too. Uh, an interesting aspect of this interview with John is that he was a startup founder in, in, in Silicon Valley. He's pretty connected with that, that whole network uh, and then moved to Boulder um, and moved to, to outside, of, outside of the valley. So it gets a kind of insider-outsider perspective. Um, also, I just wanted to let everyone know that I'll be doing an online course with uh, another CEO, Anders Jones, uh, who is the CEO of Facet Wealth. And so we'll be doing an online course. And if you're a startup founder who's looking to build a remote company, a distributed company, uh, and also raise money for that distributed company, uh, Anders has, has, has done this and he just re- recently raised $30 million uh, and then took his company to Baltimore outside of Silicon Valley again this kind of moving away from the, the center of Silicon Valley and creating a company elsewhere uh, and uh, so we're, we're going to provide some information in this course I'd really love it if, if you're a startup founder trying to think about how you're going to raise money I uh, highly recommend checking out this course uh, it will be an application only so you will you will have to apply be short application just so we can know we get the right type of companies who need this this type of information um, and essentially what we're going to do is <coughs> We're going to offer quite a bit of value in terms of I will be interviewing Anders and then uh, we will essentially, it'll be live, a live course um, and I'll be interviewing him, finding out the best information that he used in order to, to build his company and raise money. Um, and then we'll basically have, we'll start on a Monday with a live course that you tune into and then through the week I'll develop some assignments and we'll connect you with other startup founders and, and kind of uh, develop uh, relationships among the other people in the in a class and then on Friday we'll kind of round out the course with anything that came up in the week so it'll be a short kind of mini course on how you can prepare your company to figure out how to raise money uh, so Anders just raised 30 million dollars in his series a so has some relevant information because this is really important when you're fundraising you need relevant information that's that's timely because what worked five years ago might not necessarily work today and you know I, I grew up my father was a venture capitalist and investor so I know about this industry uh, uh, from growing up in it, um, and I've you know I've talked with my dad quite a bit about about all this different stuff, and I've and I've actually raised money myself. Um, so so yeah, we're, we're hoping to provide the most value that we can. Uh, if you are a startup founder and looking to raise money, please consider uh, applying uh, applying for it. And if you want to sign up for that, please find me at stuartalsop.substack.com. Um, if you sign up for the newsletter, I will be including more information about how you can apply there at stuartalsop.substack.com. Really hope you enjoy this interview with, with John Ramey. Uh, please let me know your thoughts. Uh, have a great day.
Welcome to the Crazy Wisdom Podcast. My guest here is John Ramey. He is the founder of The Prepared, and he's also an angel investor um, living in Boulder, Colorado. And uh, John, I'm really excited to have you on the show. Uh, and can, can you uh, explain more about what The Prepared is and what you guys are working on? Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, the Prepared is a free website that helps normal people get ready for emergencies. Mm-hmm. Stuff ranging from car accidents to losing heat in your house over the, during a winter storm, up through big kind of you know crazy events like natural disasters, uh, epidemics, economic problems, things like that. Mm. And do you guys already have some content out there that, that people are using? Oh, absolutely. I mean, if you if you Google prepping. I think we're number one and number two. So there's, we have a bunch of product reviews. So for example, just this last weekend, we published a big review on fire starters. How do you create a fire if you don't have uh, fuel? We do skill guides. So we've recently done a lot of medical content where we teach people how to use a tourniquet, how to stop bleeding, how to, how to bandage a uh, wound, how to clean a wound, how to use a map, how to use a compass. Wow. So it's kind of a wide range of stuff to just help people like you and me become more self-reliant uh, adults, family members, community members, so that when bad things inevitably happen, we have we, we are trying to regain more of the skills that we've really lost over the last hundred years because we've become so dependent on stuff. Most people don't know what to do when an earthquake hits or they don't know uh, how to take care of someone that needs CPR. And we're just putting out a bunch of content and uh, product reviews and how-tos and things like that that help people. Hmm. That's really interesting. And so I was asking you about how did you start this company and uh, did it start from an initial need that you had? It did. Uh, So I have, this is a topic that I've been interested in as a person for a very long time. Uh, in fact, I was one of the first kind of quote unquote preppers that was outed in the Silicon Valley community about 10 years ago, Mm. um, back, back when it had a lot of weird kind of doomsday stigma around it, where people thought that you were a, you know, a a tinfoil hat hermit that moved into the woods and thought Obama was a Muslim secret agent. Uh (laughs) And I, I, you know, I was a, I was a young tech bro in the Valley and, um, uh, was kind of outed as as being someone that was into this. I came from the Midwest. I grew up, you know, hunting and camping and those kinds of skills. And then some of my my peer group in the valley, other founders, other investors, more and more people are getting into this topic mm-hmm. where, you know, they think about how can we take rational steps so that if an earthquake hits the Bay Area. I know what to do. I know how to protect my family. Mm. Uh, our lives will be minimally disrupted. Mm. And so people, friends and colleagues started asking for help over time. And, you know, in the first year, it was one or two people. And the next year, it doubled. And the next year, it doubled. And finally, it got to the point where I just wanted to stop repeating myself. So I wrote some of this content down. Like, here's how you make a bug out bag. And here's the kind of stuff that you should buy. Mm. And then over the last few years, it really felt like the market had changed where millions of people like us were thinking about these topics, but they felt the stress of being closeted about it. Because if you went to Google and you searched for, you know, what's the best water filter that I should have in case my city gets a a boil water notice, 
you'd have to dig through this really garbagey, propaganda, fringy content mm. from the doomsday preppers just to figure out <laughs> how to have clean water in your home. And mm. so, uh, frankly, this came from the pain, a uh, personal pain of I just hated the content that was out there and I hated the stigma that was, uh, the kind of outdated stigma that was around it. So I took some of that content that I had written for friends and put it up on a website as kind of a side uh, side hustle weekend project. And it just really struck a chord and took off and now we're full time on it. That's so interesting. This gets into the nature of information and how useful the right information at the right time could be. Because I imagine a lot of us as human beings uh, have trouble enough dealing with the regular stresses of life that uh, thinking of in the, uh, thinking in the future and thinking about, oh, what if this kind of not necessarily apocalyptic thing happened, but but you know a natural disaster happened in preparing for that. Um, what do you think about this? Like, what type of people visit your your site and get from your site? It's, it seems like people who are pretty you know on top of things. Yeah, you know, people. Whenever we get press questions and things like that, people always try to they still try to pigeonhole it into, oh, so your audience are. Are, are they Fox News watchers or are they MSNBC watchers, right? Because they still think of it in this paradigm of some of those old stereotypes about quote-unquote preppers mm. that kind of like the Doomsday Prepper show on Netflix where you typically had these, well, there was a pattern of people and a stigma around them. Uh, that has completely gone away. Um, people of all shapes, sizes, ages, uh, rural, urban, liberal, conservative, millennial, baby boomer, uh, it's across the board. The, the best unifying denominator across them mm. is it's people who are aware enough to realize that bad things inevitably happen. Mm. Many people feel like things are getting worse over time, right? People have a lot of fear and anxiety about not only the state of things today, but the fact that the next few decades or that a lot of experts believe that the next few decades are going to be harder than the previous few decades, whether it's mm. climate change or economic turmoil or political turmoil. And so the unifying thread amongst our audience is people who, who see those things happening in the world and they are self-aware enough to realize that they have to be their own first responder, that mm. they can't depend on other people to save them. And then on the flip side of that coin is that people take solace. It's a, it's a good thing, a proactive thing. People take comfort and solace in learning these skills and feeling like a more responsible, prepared, self-reliant adult, much in the same way that you take solace in knowing that you have health insurance. And if something really, really bad happens, you'll be okay. Mm. So that's, you know, and so whether it's young, old, black, white, queer, straight, urban, rural, doesn't matter, millions and millions of people are just focused on that core belief of how do I become a more self-reliant adult? Mm. This it bring the, the quote from, I think it was Robert Heinemann, the sci-fi author. He said that specialization is for ants uh, and that a real human being should know how to do all these various things. And then he lists off like a hundred different things. Um, and that, that comes to mind. And, and it, and it seems like as human beings, we aren't meant to be, purely specialists, although some people do find themselves in that situation, it, it seems like we're, we're, we're built for having a whole bunch of different skills that we learn. And this kind of is backed up by a lot of what neuroscience teaches us, which is that we, our genes don't get expressed 
unless we put ourselves into novel situations that um, that you know, such as learning a new skill. Um, what do you think about that? I, I agree. Um, there's that's what I what I just mentioned a minute ago about kind of the positive element of it is people tend to focus at least at the press narrative level of the downside, right? Like, oh, these people are preparing for these horrible scenarios. Mm. But a lot of people do this for the same reasons that people are a part of Boy Scouts, mm. right? Or that they go camping or, or, or that they go to Burning Man, right? Like people like to exercise these muscles, whether physical muscles or, or metaphorical muscles, that as humans, I think we even just subconsciously kind of feel like we've lost, right? Like, I want to know, what do I do if my partner has a seizure? Mm. I want to know what to do if I see someone in a car accident and they need help. Mm. And it just, it feels good to expand our mind, to learn new skills, uh, to become just a more well-rounded, capable human. And, and it seems like agency and control uh, are important too, because when they've done a lot of studies on uh, rats and other things and put them into highly stressful situations and then give them the opportunity to control how, when and when they experience the pain and, and give the other ones the inability to control it. And um, PTSD happens a lot more if you can't control it. Uh, and so this gives people a sense of like somewhat sort of agency over their lives because a lot of the narrative of the press is that is that the world is going to, you know, is go like a lot of people my age are starting to think about, about, you know, that in 20 years we might have a very hot globe or, or, and that the water levels might rise, whether, whether things are going to become more intense. So this kind of allows people to get some agency out of, out of this and, and control a little bit more. Yeah, exactly. Right. I, I mean, most, most reasonably intelligent, self-aware people don't choose to be dependent, mm. right? It's, it is, a, it, it is a fundamental human desire to want to have agency over yourself. Mm. And that means not being oppressed. That means having freedom of speech. That means not being stuck at the whim of a, of a massive natural disaster that maybe shouldn't have happened in the first place if we didn't have a broken government that could handle things like time, climate change. Mm. You don't want to be dependent on, like today, as you and, you and I speak, 5 million people are without power in Ohio because of the tornadoes the last few days. Mm. People don't want to be dependent on those externalities, or rather they, they want to minimize how often they happen, and they want to minimize the effect when they do happen. Mm. Really interesting. Are you guys do do you guys have a community? Are you guys doing community events where you like bring people together based on this on this on this um, theme? We do. We do. We haven't done a lot of uh, meet space events that were branded under the prepared because we're still kind of growing and right. We just went from a team of myself to three and we're growing. Mm. But we have done physical events, and I I have been a part of uh, a lot of physical events personally mm. over the last decade or so. Mm. And that's growing. People building community is a part of this. And that's actually another way in which kind of the, the outdated quote unquote doomsday prepper stigma is no longer valid. Because when people think of that stigma, they think of kind of a lone wolf Mad Max with his shotgun and his dog walking down a desert road into the sunset kind of thing. Mm. Or B 
being isolated in your bunker for 10 years while everyone else above ground is dead. Mm. That mentality is, it just doesn't really exist anymore. And, and it never really existed in mass to begin with. It was more of a fringe thing that was amplified by the press story. Mm. And what we find with a lot of modern preppers is that they think about community and they want to build community. Mm. One of our most often recommended features is kind of a farmers only.com for preppers, right? Mm. Like people want to build networks with people around them. They want to go to their neighborhood and talk to their neighbors and say, Hey, are you prepared for basic emergencies? Because if our neighborhood has a water main break, you know, I don't, I want everybody to be happy and healthy and to, mm. to not be hurting each other to, to fight over supplies and things like that. Mm. That's a really good point. And it brings to mind something my friend said, you know, we were talking about just the state of the world and, and how the media is, is selling it. The main narrative is that we're in a lot of trouble and that in that in that 10 to 20 years, we're, we're, we're going to be in a lot more trouble. Um, and, uh, and I was expressing my fear of this. And she's like, yes, but humans have a way of finding community in the most difficult of times. And that 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 those natural disasters are actually that's what people knit their communities based off of is in this response to problems, because as human beings, as animals, um, uh, our number primal activity is survival. Uh, and the way that we survive is through problem solving. Um, and so, so in, in many ways, you know, at our most basic level, the nervous system could be considered as a problem solving machine. Um, and, and there will always be more problems to solve. Uh, but this kind of, getting people together is a, is a fundamental byproduct. It seems like, has, has, have you noticed that to be the case? Oh, absolutely. And, and not just anecdotally or personally, but it's in the data. Mm. Um, kind of similar to the Bill Gates quote about people overestimate the effective tech on a three year horizon. They underestimate it on a 10 year horizon. Mm -hmm. There's a sim there's a similar kind of, inaccurate guess, guessing on each end of the spectrum when it comes to how people and communities respond to a crisis. You know, some people think that as soon as something bad happens in the world, society will devolve and mass looting will happen, right? Like, which is why you sometimes see during a net, like after a, a hurricane or something, local news, local TV news reporters will be desperately trying to find the story of someone looting a store because that's the narrative that they're trying to fit. Mm -hmm. But what we find in practice is that on that early end of the spectrum or that kind of lo that um, less critical end of the spectrum, people don't devolve into a dog-eat-dog -dog chaotic community as soon as people expect. In other words, people overestimate how people will fall apart and start hurting each other and stealing what we find in the data is that it actually doesn't happen that quickly. So the, the bar for people to turn from civilized community humans into kind of a dog eat dog thing, that bar is higher than people expect. Mm. But then similar to that, going back to that Bill Gates quote analogy, people then underestimate just how bad thing or just how much things can unwind once you cross that bar. Mm. Does that mm. make sense? Yeah. So essentially it's a, a much higher, 
it takes a lot longer for people to to devolve into this thing but then once it happens it go it goes crazy and then you get things like you know china f- famine people eating dogs and eating you know yeah horrible stuff is that right yeah mm-hmm. yeah exactly right so we people are even even physiologically wired to seek and build community mm. and when bad things happen that's where people tend to turn to. And you see that through the efforts of uh, community emergency response teams, for example, mm. which is kind of the neighborhood watch for emergencies where there are civilians that are, that are volunteers and they go through training that are in your neighborhood that will come out and help. And then people spontaneously do that and neighbors help neighbors and people help communities or they'll even barter and trade goods and services. Mm. But then once you cross Mm. that that threshold wherever that threshold is mm. it goes from good to bad very quick mm. this is something interesting because i've been reading a lot of not, not a lot i've been reading uh, jordan peterson recently and he talks a lot about the n- necessity to go into your own human nature and really find the dark part and and know that under cert- certain circumstances like what you're talking about beyond that bar we are capable of really horrible stuff uh, and so it, only by recognizing that and going into the abyss can we essentially uh, um, uh, account for it and, and, and prevent that from happening. It's only by facing the darker side of our nature that we can actually uh, 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 transcend it. Um, and, and he talks a lot about how kind of Nazi Germany and uh, uh, Gulag Archipelago, uh, these things were done basically because people had these, these, uh, we're, we're not, they were, there was a bunch of little lies that led up to this larger lie and allowed, you know, those first little lies of, of not kind of standing up to it. I don't really, I don't really have a point of this except that, uh, it was brought to mind by, by what you were talking about. Um, I don't know if you have anything to say about it. Well, it, that is yet another example of kind of the psychology and motivations behind why rational, you know, normal, modern people spend time and money on prepping Mm. not because they have these dark fantasies right where i mean there there is some fun kind of fantastical elements to it right Mm. like we we all watch the walking dead and think wouldn't that be kind of cool but in terms of what you're talking about that is part of it right like when you not every human is built this way but a lot are and i am where You know, you think about, it's not to be morbid, but you think about, well, what happens if, or Mm. what would I do? What would I do if uh, someone threatened my family, Mm. right? How would I react? How would I respond? And just like you would practice for a speech or any of these other kind of fleeting moments in life where things happen really quickly and uh, our brain hasn't been trained to, to handle those types of situations. Mm. people recognize, well, this is effectively a form of practice. And mm-hmm. it's not only does it have value in and of itself so that I am better prepared and I, and I have thought through what I would do, but simply taking my mind through that exercise makes me even calmer or more grounded. Mm. It's similar to how in stoicism, right? One of the exercises of stoicism is to live your fears, mm. right? Like if you are afraid of being poor, Go be poor for a week Mm. and maybe you'll find out that it's 
not as much of a boogeyman as you thought it would be. And you can take solace in that. Mm. Mm. That's really interesting. Do you guys have like, it's cause I, so I'm imagining I seen your website and it's all based on the internet. What happens if I don't have access to the internet, but I need some of the information. Are you guys building, going to write a physical book or an ebook even? You know, we've been asked to, uh, mm-hmm. but that's, and it's stuff that we're thinking about internally, but we haven't made any public announcements about it. Mm-hmm. That'd be interesting. Um, Cause that's the one thing I, I so it's like uh, the, what brought up that question was essentially I have, I've, I thought I think a lot about about this and what what I would do, but a lot of the things I think about are like skills that I don't have that it would take me a, a fair amount of time right. to learn. Uh, and so it's like you know I, I want to start learning those skills and the, the survival. Ca- I, lo- I love camping and love going into nature, but I would be if I didn't bring food with me, I would be you know done in a couple of days. Uh, so I'm like and and it's like how I, I want to learn those skills, but those seem like significant time investments. Do you have those skills? Like, could you go into the wilderness and survive for four weeks? I can. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, personally, I'm at the point both through the things that I have purchased and the skills that I have learned. Mm-hmm. I can survive indefinitely. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Um, but it took me it took me a long time to get there. Mm-hmm. And that's part of what we're trying to do for people is, I, you know, that sucked. Like the, the bar was too high, mm. right? I, I had the, the, the means and the motivation to do so, but the bar shouldn't be that high for people to get to this point. Mm. So one of the things that we try to do with our content is really boil it down to the 80-20. Like mm. what, are, what are those few things that we can put into your head so that even if you don't have a resource that you can turn to in the future, like, like an internet article or a book or a Kindle or whatever, are you going to remember if you have to go hunting, the absolute core principle of how to uh, turn that that game into meat, mm. right? Will, will you remember, get it cold, avoid feces, quarter it, take the skin off? Mm. Like if, if we can boil it down to that, then you, know, you, you won't have all the best uh, technique and, and you certainly won't be even considered proficient, but you'll survive. Mm. So that's really interesting. And I want to ask, besides hunting, what are, a few, what are the next three important things that you need to know in order to survive for indefinitely? Well, and actually, I wouldn't put hunting in the top three. Mm. It's just, it was you know, just a good example of how mm. someone can practice those, those game processing skills for a lifetime. But if you can remember those three bullet points I just told you, mm. you'd probably be okay. Interesting. Um, the most important skills... Well, some of them are kind of acute or tactical, like, you know, equivalent to um, how to clean a wound. And some of them are more meta about you as a person, like uh, situational awareness, which if we're really talking about what are the most important skills to have, they would be more on that meta end of the spectrum. Um, can, Can you... Can you keep your cool when things around you aren't? Mm-hmm. Uh, can, can, do you have the situ, situational awareness to not be walking around paranoid all day, mm-hmm. but to be able to be conscientious of your surroundings and have that spidey sense tingle if it needs to? Mm-hmm. When, you get into acu- when you get into acute skills, I think some of the most important ones are about, well, think about Maslow's hierarchy. Do you have the ability to find 
or make clean water? Mm. Can you make a fire without a lighter? Mm. Uh, can you, do you have a rough ability to know if food is safe to eat? Mm. Do you know how to keep yourself warm? Like, do you understand the basics of hypothermia and body heat and clothe, uh, clothing layering and things like that? So mm. once you get past the meta, you basically work your way up Maslow's hierarchy. Mm. Yep. That's really good. And um, do you guys have like, if somebody wanted to go learn about this, would you guys have suggestions of people to go learn it from if they, if they want that kind of in-person teaching or do you guys, are you guys going to do that? We're not doing in-person courses right now. Mm -hmm. uh, we work with a number of those instructors. Uh, there are people like SEER instructors or wilderness medicine, medical instructors around the country that we work with. Mm -hmm. We don't have any courses ourselves right now. We've been focusing online. Mm. And that's the entryway for most people. So if you're listening to this and thinking, hey, I, I want to know how to get my house better prepared for losing heat or losing power or losing water, uh, just go to the prepared.com or search for prepping. And we've got the number one beginner's guide on the internet and a bunch of content to help you get started. Mm. That's really interesting. Um what what is your vision of the future for like the next five, 10, 20 years? Uh, do you buy into the narrative of the media is presenting or, or do you, do you have a different one? I mean, I, I, I am pessimistic is the short mm -hmm. answer. Mm -hmm. uh, I think we have a lot of very big, very meaningful, very imminent problems that because of a whole bunch of reasons we collectively aren't addressing. Mm. Two of the easier ones to talk about are climate change and economic change. Mm. And I've, I've worked on these things, right? I, I am, I, people will ask, oh, so if you're, if you're a prepper or if you believe in these things, does that mean you've given up or that there's, mm. there's no hope or, you know, you're just going to sit in your, sit in your bunker and, 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 um, stroke your mustache while chuckling about how right you were. Mm. No, right? Like, right. I came from Silicon Valley. I assume some of your listeners are in kind of the tech Valley culture. Mm -hmm. We, by definition, want to go solve problems. And this is fundamentally why a lot of technologists, a lot of innovators, a lot of people in the Valley are also preppers, mm. right? Bill Gates, Elon Musk, Sam Alton, right? these people are all preppers. Mm. And it's because that same, that same DNA that makes the Valley and those types of people good at identifying problems and solving problems, mm. especially big, hairy, kind of nasty, big scale problems. Mm. That same DNA is what also then leads us to look at, okay, we have a problem with the climate. We have a problem in that our institutions, like our government, are irreparably broken and not handling these things. Mm. And so if we kind of apply our Valley skill set, we can play, we can kind of game theory this out almost the way that you would a, a business market mm. and see what's going to happen. Mm. And we know what the fulcrum points are. We know, we know what the timelines are like. We know how difficult it is to solve problems or, or what problems are solvable and what aren't. And because we have that skill set and that point of view, we can then apply that same point of view to things that are outside the business community, like the general economy or climate or, or institutions mm -hmm. and realize 
we're pretty boned. But even if you're not at that point, right? It's just if you, for example, if you live in the Bay Area and we're do, you know, whenever the big one earthquake happens, mm. are you going to be okay? Mm. And more people are realizing, no, mm. I won't be. What are the what are the main things that uh, that our listeners should be aware of if they're in San Francisco, and what are the things that they should should have in their house uh, to prepare for an earthquake? Yeah, so the basic steps for for everyone, and we we don't do event specific, so it's not mm-hmm. about one of the mistakes that beginners make is they think, oh, I'm I'm preparing for mm-hmm. fill in the blank, mm-hmm. and that tunnel vision isn't good. A, a good prep can handle almost anything. Mm-hmm. Just like just like a good human could could handle almost anything, mm. right? To your to your uh, comment earlier about specialization in ants, mm. the basic steps for the vast majority of people are, we actually say kind of number zero, or kind of like the prerequisite is, do you have your personal finances in order, mm. right? Uh, people who have emergency funds tend not to have emergencies. Mm. So if you're swimming in credit card debt, if you don't have a retirement account, if you don't understand the basics of personal money management, that is actually step one. Mm. Because the most likely, quote unquote, emergency that you're going to face in your life, other than some eventual medical emergency, is personal financial hardship, right? Mm. Case in point, just last week, the Federal Reserve released their annual study, and it said basically 50% of all Americans can't handle an unexpected $400 expense mm. or a, a $400 emergency, like uh, like your brakes going out or whatever. That's horrible, mm. right? Like we're, su- we're supposed to be the, the, the wealthiest country in history. Mm. Half of us can't handle a $400 emergency, mm. whether it's a toothache or, or a car repair. Mm. That's insane. Mm. So that's actually step number one. Once you've covered that, the actual first prepping steps. Number one, are you able to survive in your home for at least two weeks without the grid or any help? Mm. So do you have two weeks of potable water stored? Do you have two weeks of non-perishable food? Do you have the ability to keep yourself warm or cool? Do you have basic first aid stuff? Do you have community, do you have a radio or communication, some way to keep in touch if things go down? Mm. Uh, do you have basic tools like a multi-tool or an axe or a hatchet right, or a folding saw, those kinds of things, even batteries. Mm. Most people these days aren't there because in normal life, right, we can hit Amazon now and we can get a pair of batteries in two hours. Well, that might not be the case in an emergency. Mm. So can you survive in your home for two weeks without the grid or without help? Mm. Step number two, is what people call a bug out bag. Do you have the ability to leave your home if you need to? Like if a hurricane is coming coming and you have to evacuate to a FEMA shelter mm. for a week or two. So that bug out bag is basically a backpack that is always packed and ready to go. And it's for any, literally any circumstance in which all of a sudden you have to leave your house very quickly. Mm-hmm. And then the the last piece is the reciprocal of the bug out bag. We spend a good chunk of our time away from home, at our job, at school, whatever. 
because Americans are mostly dependent on cars, most when people are away from home, they are usually somewhere near their vehicle. There's kind of the reciprocal of a bug out bag, which most people keep in their car, or they might keep it in their school backpack or in their locker at work or, whatever, or even a drawer at work. And it's called a get home bag. And it's the same kind of spirit. If something happens when you're away from home, are you able to handle it? Mm. Mm. So those are the core, those are the core pieces. We think a lot about that two week threshold. People used to talk about 72 hour kits, like the Red Cross would talk about a 72 hour kit. Mm. And what we, what we find in the data is that that's just not good enough, right? Like if you think about recent hurricanes or the tornadoes this week or whatever, people are not going to be back to normal within three days. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So yeah. we think about that two week mark. Can mm-hmm. you survive in your home? Can you leave your home? Can you get back to your home? Mm-hmm. That is so interesting. Uh, how, how good of an idea is it to, if a city is off the grid kind of going into chaos, not pure apocalyptic chaos, but you know, like mild apocalyptic, no, no electricity, grocery stores are out. How smart of it is to go into nature? Well, it could be smart. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, one of the, just like in startups, the, the number one answer to most questions is it depends. Mm-hmm. The same thing is true for prepping. It mm-hmm. depends. And to your point earlier about humans naturally want to feel and control things. Mm-hmm. And we will, rather than expanding our definition of control, we will limit what we, what we see mm-hmm. in the world until mm-hmm. it becomes controllable. Mm-hmm. That's part of why a lot of beginners make the mistake of preparing for a specific scenario because it makes things easier to control. Mm-hmm. Or, or similarly, a lot of people kind of have this fantasy or this notion that something's going to happen, uh, which could be a long, slow decline, right? It could be the next 20 years of, of climate change and we start to see forced migration. As uh, mm-hmm. FEMA says that over a million houses along the coast are going to have to be abandoned and things mm-hmm. like this. We might have a long, slow decline. So it's unlikely that all of a sudden one day, you know, fascist alien zombies arrive on an asteroid mm. and we all kind of vacate into the woods and regress to a, an agrarian society. Mm. Um, that said, a lot of prepping overlaps with what's called bushcraft, which is basically the kind of natural survival skills, right? Can you go out into nature? make a shelter, make a fire, find clean water, that kind of stuff. So we talk about a lot of that stuff and there's a lot of overlap there, but where we caution people is to not get this tunnel vision of, I live in New York city. Whenever shit hits the fan, I'm going to walk to upstate New York <laughs> and, and create a communal farm with all the other people. It, uh-huh. It's probably not going to work that way. Mm, that's so interesting. Uh, Cause that gets into that because I, you know, that's my that's my basic understanding. I haven't, I haven't, I've, I've thought about it a lot, but I haven't talked to people like you who who know what they're talking about. And my vision is like, oh, okay, I'm just going to go run into the forest and 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 try to eat, eat, you know, drink water and stuff like that. Uh, but then, yeah, and now in this kind of like, now I'm getting feedback from you, and it's like now I'm building a whole different model of what it is to uh survive and think about these things and it's yeah that's why i think it's important what you guys are doing it's really cool well thank you mm-hmm. and that that very well could happen right mm-hmm. and people i live in an area that is in a more rural part of the country mm-hmm. for that reason right i want to have 
egress routes mm. or, or, you know, people will talk about bug out locations where some people will have a plot of land somewhere. Right? It, like a, yeah. a lot of the, a lot of the billionaire class in the tech industry, like in the Bay area, mm. many of them have a bug out location that they can get to either within a day's drive or, you know, some of them are wealthy enough to have a plane on standby. Mm. And so it, it could be valuable or you might be in a situation where you end up in the wilderness, mm-hmm. um, but you, you just as equally might be in a situation where you're squatting in a Costco mm-hmm. with 40 other people mm-hmm. uh, for three months. Mm-hmm. So interesting. Um, that's yeah. Uh, I was going to ask. What are the best places in the United States you would suggest living if you are worried about things like this happening? Yeah, that's a wonderful question. And I actually just went through the home buying process. So this was something that was even personally on my mind a lot. We did it from readers a lot. And we have started researching this topic. We're even working with academics and scientists that think of whether it's uh, um, geologists or people specifically focused on, on climate science, because we know on the one hand, you should not have coastal property in Florida. Mm-hmm. Like, that's kind of a no brainer, right? Mm-hmm. In fact, I, there was even something in a mainstream outlet like CNBC this week. And the headline was, you know, um, investment gurus recommend selling your Florida property now. Right before the before people start depreciating these these coastal assets, mm. but then in terms of okay, we know we shouldn't buy a beach house in Florida. We know we probably shouldn't buy a, a ranch in the Southwest Desert. Where do we go? That gets a little more complicated because, as much as we are making progress with climate science and models and predictions, these are still extremely mm. intricate ecosystems, mm. and it's hard to project. You know, is this is this particular zip code going to have more rainfall or less rainfall 40 years from now? Mm-hmm. In general, I think, you know, it's no brainer stuff. Uh, north is better than south. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't want to live in New Mexico 30 mm-hmm. years from now when we're when we're maybe even fighting each other over water. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I personally have thought about more of the, the mountain time zone or the Pacific time zone uh, and the, the more North, the better. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I've been thinking you know, Canada a lot, probably it would make a lot of sense. Uh, it's interesting because I've, I've recently come across a piece of data that, that is not talked about a lot, which is that at one point on this planet, there was, it was warmer than it was today. And there were jungles uh, in Greenland. Um, so like jungles, you know, created the whole, so there meant that there was life in Greenland. So, so that, you know, I'm, I'm not discounting the nature of climate change, but, but there, there is a, we have not, we are not able to model exactly what life, what will happen to life. And we are kind of given the picture that it will just be doomsday, that life as we know it will, will, will not, will cease to exist, but it could be, there could be a possibility that life, um, actually does continue just in Northern regions. Um, I don't know. What do you, what do you think about that? And, and or evolves mm-hmm. somehow, mm-hmm. right? Like, you know, nature is amazing and it still surprises us in some ways. Mm-hmm. Um, not to the point, you know, 
climate de climate science deniers will kind of point to things, right? Like, well, it's only like the theory of evolution is only a theory. Mm -hmm. Well, no, that's it's science fact, mm -hmm. right? It's just that's the words that we use. Yeah. And so, like in this climate change issue, right? People will often point out, oh, well we don't know everything and it's hard to predict everything or the earth has gone through cycles before there used to be a jungle in Greenland. Mm. I know that wasn't your, I know that wasn't your yeah. point, but people mm. will hook onto those things and say, see, because we don't have a hundred percent certainty about every part of the equation, I reject the equation. Mm -hmm. And that that's obviously false. Mm. Um, we know, for example, even just in the last few years, we are in the sixth age, the sixth mass extinction. Mm. Is this something that you that you're familiar with or have run across? I've, I have heard about this. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Most people are familiar about uh, the bee colony collapse mm -hmm. stuff, but it is it is far more prominent than that. Mm. Uh, there are there are estimates. For example, the German government put out an estimate that 75 percent of all animal species in Germany have been wiped out in the last mm. few decades. Mm. Uh, right, fish stocks in the oceans mm -hmm. are. There are legitimate projections that those could just collapse. Mm -hmm. So while it is likely that life survives, and right, we're adaptable. Right, maybe we just, maybe we all end up live, having a lifestyle like people in Dubai do, where mm -hmm. you spend approximately three minutes outdoors every day, and that's just the that's just the aggregate of the time that it took for me to get to the front door to an Uber. Mm -hmm. And we just all stay inside, mm -hmm. right? In our hermetically sealed bubbles. Mm -hmm. Life can adapt, humans can adapt, but on the whole, we're we're destroying the planet, mm -hmm. and we're already seeing the consequences, even just in terms of the this sixth mass extinction, where we're seeing the collapse of these ecosystems. Mm -hmm. And yeah, the main question in that scenario of like a Dubai for civilization. You know, it's been covered a lot in science fiction novels. Uh, and the main thing I worry about in that circumstance is food. Because can we actually, I don't know if you've done any research on this, can we actually grow food without soil? Or, you know, like, is is home uh, in greenhouse grown or, you know, urban farming, is that a viable way to feed the population of the earth? It could be. Mm -hmm. it, it's, it is one of many examples and a good example mm -hmm. of how we could solve these, these largest existential problems that we're facing. Mm -hmm. They are solvable. Mm -hmm. But when you look at the reality, the, the kind of pragmatic reality of what it would take to solve those problems, mm -hmm. uh, it's probably going to be too little too late. Mm -hmm. And look, I, you know, I, I'm saying this as someone who has worked at the highest levels of government to try to fix these problems. Mm. And I saw behind that curtain. Mm. And even though I was into this topic beforehand, I didn't start building a prepper business until after that experience. Mm. So that tells you something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Tells me something. Yeah. Um, wow. All right. Uh, this has been really interesting and, and I, I really support what you guys are doing and hope our listeners will check out your site. Um, uh, how can, I mean, yeah, how can people find out more about it? You've mentioned it once, but just give, give our listeners an idea of, of, of what best to find you guys. So our website is theprepared.com. 
Or if you go to Google and search for prepping for beginners or common sense prepping or just prepping, we're typically number one or number two. Mm, cool. Thank you so much for coming on the show. It's been a huge pleasure. Likewise. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed this episode with John Ramey. Uh, if you do, just know that I release new episodes on iTunes every Monday and Friday morning before your morning commute so that you can uh, listen to them on your commute to work. Uh, really enjoy this episode. Yeah, and again, I just want to let you guys know if you are a startup founder and you're looking to raise money, please consider applying to the online course that I've got with Anders Jones, the CEO of Facet Wealth, who recently raised $30 million. If you are interested, I'll be including more information on how you can apply. Uh, so please subscribe at stuartallsop.substack.com in order to find out the the how you can apply and the next steps in order to apply for a program. Uh, we're, I'm really aiming to provide the most value. I've been in the situation of raising money. It is one of the most difficult situations that you will ever experience. Uh, it requires a set of principles that are very different from building your company. Uh, so if you've been building your company and want to start figuring out a little bit more about the psychology of how to how to raise money, uh, please consider uh, subscribing to my blog, stuartallsop.substack.com, where I will include uh, some information on how to apply. Uh, have a great day. Uh, please let me know your thoughts on these episodes.